2, as we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Sunday morning, if you haven't figured it out, we're in the book of Revelation. Read ahead into chapter 8 as we look into the first of the trumpet blasts. Tonight, James 2, probably the, one of the most famous sections and controversial, although I don't think it's controversial. I, by the way, do you, is it me or when somebody talks about a topic, they always, they always throw that out. It's controversial. No, it's not. You make it that way. I seem to have no problem with this section nor choice or God's election or our free will. Again, not contra... All right. You were pulling me in. (laughs) James 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that kind of faith save him? Save him. If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food, And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled. But you do not give the things which are needed for the body. James says, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe, but they, sh- they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect or mature. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, not believed in God. That's too easy. He believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And you see that that man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for our night. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you for those serving, Lord, in our children's ministry, youth ministry. And Father, that you would just bless our time, that we would be encouraged by your word. Lord, search our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what anybody's problem with. This is a very simple, clear section of Scripture. Amen? Amen. Chapter 3. <laughs> oh, oh, if it were only that simple. No. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. want to set some context for what we're about to get into. As you're turning there, Paul the Apostle made it very clear that we are justified by faith, 
faith alone and Christ alone. Amen? That's how you get to heaven. James does not contradict that at all. And we're going to see even Martin Luther didn't like that. But I think Martin Luther was looking at it from a different perspective. And I think the foundation sets from John the Baptist. Oh, I can't wait to see this guy. And he says in verse 7, well, let's pick it up in verse 6. And he was baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This is what John has been doing out in the wilderness. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are the religious leaders, coming to his baptism, he said unto them, brood of vipers, (laughs) who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? By the way, remember, nobody talked to them like that. Listen to this verse 8, underline it, highlight it. This is what's important for us tonight. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. I'm going to keep reading, but I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Hear that again. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do you not say unto yourself, for we have Abraham our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these very stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down, and it's thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff and unquenchable fire. <laughs> Don't you? I mean, I could just teach right from that section tonight. John, what an amazing... John, have you figured out this is not how you have a seeker-friendly church? You don't call people... The, oh, look at verse 8 again. Underline and highlight it. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. What is John saying... And what is James saying? Let's tie them together. Let's come back to James. So what does it profit? Notice what James says. What does it profit my brethren? These are believers. If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that kind of faith save him? That's what the Greek means. Can that kind of faith save him? Again, these this section of scripture, very controversial to the church. In fact, I, I was reading something today, and it wasn't controversial in the beginning of the church, and then later became controversial. Are you ready for it? Have you figured it out? Because works became part of the system. And so they incorporated it into, well, it's Jesus and. But in the early church, they didn't have this problem. Although James addresses it, What he's going to tell us is that as a believer, we're going to see there is proof of your, well, worthy of repentance, fruit, worthy of being saved. So Luther didn't like this. He thought there was a contradiction between James's teaching on justification by works and Paul's justification by faith. But I don't see that. I see them complementing one another. And again, this just takes a little bit of common sense to look at the scriptures and say, I get both. What is, what is Paul saying? 
He says, no one can get into heaven simply on the works that they do. That is self-righteousness. Very clear. It is only in faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. But James comes in and says, as we have said so many times, you say that you are saved. You say that you had a transformation. You say that you raised your hand at a Billy Graham. You said you did this and that. Prove it to me. How many people sit in churches all across America on a Sunday or a Wednesday? Millions of people, they sit there, but there is no proof of a radical transformation in their life. Again, if the authorities brought you before the court, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? James says, okay, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's get in the Brax tax and let's stop messing around and saying that we are believers when we may not even be a believer because a believer is going to bear fruit. In their life, there is going to be a proof of transformation. Amen? That is what we're going to get into tonight. Now, before we do that, I, I thought it would be nice for us to look at this phrase, justification, because it's used several times in the New Testament and it actually builds on each other. In Romans 3, 24, we're justified by grace. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So this simply means that we do not deserve to be justified. In fact, we deserve the very opposite. It is only by God's unmerited favor upon us that we even get to step foot into heaven. Amen? It is only by God's grace. So Paul makes that very clear. In fact, most of these are in Romans. Paul continued to build on that, and he says we are justified by faith, Romans 5.1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, and Paul's point is there is now no enmity between God and man because it is not, it's no longer a war. Hostilities have been settled because of the blood of the Lamb. And so, Romans 5.1 says that we are justified by faith. By faith, we accept the free gift of eternal life. Faith is which appropriates, appropriates what God has done for us. Sometimes I can't even read my own notes. We're also justified by blood, Paul says. And by the way, if I'm going too fast for any of you note takers, you can come up later. Unless you're driving in your car on the radio, don't do that. Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So here we see the price of Jesus' blood. It justifies ungodly sinners and makes the sinner righteous before God because of the blood of the Lamb. We are justified by God as well. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And so God is the one who brings forth truth in that God is the one and only one that justifies man. Two more. We are justified by his power. Romans 4.25 says, Who is delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And so our justification is linked to the power that 
raised Christ from the dead. Everything that God did in justifying man is not only supernatural, but unbelievable that he would even do that. Do you, do you even see the, the, the list of this? You're like, if he just justified by faith in Christ alone, it would be good. But he continues to do this. And lastly here, James says, we are justified by works. Again, works are the outward proof of the reality of faith. Hear that. Works are the outward proof of the reality of our faith. They give outward expression to what otherwise would be invisible. <laughs> it's often said that faith and works, right, uh, they, they go hand in hand as we're going to see. You can't really, James say, have one without the other. From this we will see the person, a person, a human being is justified by grace, by faith, by blood, by God, by power, and by works. Yet there is no contradiction in all of these justifications. Again, this simple statement says to us that grace is the principle upon which God justifies. Faith is the means by which man receives it. Blood is the price which was paid by our Savior. And God is the active agent in the justification. Power is the proof, and the works are the result. Let me sum up this section of Scripture. James says, genuine faith has genuine results. Everybody got that? That's your key for tonight. Genuine faith has genuine results. There will always be be something that somebody can point to and say, ah, they're a believer. But I want you to think, think about how many people who sit in chairs, sit in pews week in and week out, and yet there is nothing evident in their life of a transformation or anything that they are doing. And so he says, he gives some examples. He said, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, daily need, so there is a true need, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And so in verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of a daily food, again, genuine faith is not indifferent, but it gets involved. Now, I, I just hit the word that we don't like to hear. Involved. Yeah? Oh, you see the need? I got something going on. I got to get somewhere. What James is saying is inside of the church, you see a brother or sister in, in need, in genuine need, and you get involved. You don't, as the parable of the Samaritan, the two religious people who walk on by. The saved in that historical account is the Samaritan. The Samaritan is putting into practice what James says here. He got involved. Not only that, is it cost him something, didn't it? Genuine faith is not indifferent, but it gets involved. 
And he says, if one of you says, depart in peace, but be warm and filled, don't you love the religious language? Don't you love that James has been saying the things that have been going on for 2,000 years? People love religious talk. It shows other people, wow, that person, very religious. Look at how they be warm and filled, brother. He says, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What is it profit? You see a real need, but you do not get involved. And so James is going to say, well, then how are you a believer? Now, let's all just pause a second and use something that the Holy Spirit has given us inside of the church. It is called the gift of discernment, and I've added a gift. Please, it's not heresy. It's the gift of common sense. Amen? Because there's a lot of people apparently didn't get this when they were born. It's amazing what happens when a believer is opened up to the reality of life. And some things it's just common sense. Now, what James is saying is that you don't need to sell your home to help that person. He says, have common sense. If you can meet the need, then meet the need. But don't yourself go into a destitute situation to help that brother. Look how great I am. I went, I sold it. I've hawked everything. So you're living in a camper. How does that happen? Help, helping anything. No, it's called use common sense. If I can, then I will help you. And if I can't, maybe I can get a bunch of other people and we can gather around and meet that need. Amen? Because God gave us a brain and he gave us common sense. I truly believe it is a supernatural gift. Is that we get saved, we're like, whoa! Yes, discernment. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You have to use discernment in whether or not this person is telling you the truth or not. You could give it all away. Listen, you'd be amazed the phone calls that we get here at CCMB. We live in a very transient area, do we not? People always got some kind of sad story. And I always tell them, look, we got a food pantry. You can come. Well, I don't really need food. Well, we don't give money away. Well, do you want some food? No. Okay, then. I know what your motive are. I will tell you. Um, we've had people come to the door. And every time, and I'm always leery because I'm usually by myself here. Don't worry, I'm protected. With cameras. What were you thinking? <laughs> Shh. All right. So they would come to the door, you know, and I, I'm always hesitant because is it me or they're never in a three-piece suit asking for help? It's always, and you're just like, Lord, but before I open up that door, I always pray, Lord, I need it right now. I need you to help me weed through the garbage I'm about to hear. The, the sad story that I hear about it from everyone. And I will tell you, the people coming to the door, I mean, and we, and we, we never, ever give money out like that, but only one time in years have I ever filled anybody's car up with gas. And that was simply because I heard God distinctly say, do that. We have to have discernment. We have to know if this person is <laughs> trying to do a one-over on us or not. We have to have discernment. 
But oftentimes, we need to just get involved. I think that God would bless you even if it was wrong to get involved. Have you done that? No show of hands. How many of you got, all right, I just said no show of hands. And then I just, you got involved, but it was wrong, but God blessed you anyway. There are learning lessons that God does all the time with our lives. But we need to listen to him. And what James is telling us is, don't act like the religious leaders. He says, thus, verse 15, also faith by itself, just on its merit, faith by itself. If it does not have works, it's dead. A faith without works is not real faith at all. It is a matter of words. James is not saying that we are saved by faith plus works. Does everybody get that tonight? We are not Jesus and. We are have fruit worthy of repentance. Lord, you've saved me from much. Therefore, I give much. If we were saved by faith plus works, then we would need two different saviors, Jesus and ourselves. And that's not how it works. Someone once said it this way, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Do you, did you hear that? We are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. It must be active. It must be proved. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Your faith is not invisible, but it's on display. It's evident. Look, when someone looks at your faith, it, it is invisible to a point, right? But what James is saying is the fact that you are a follower of Jesus, it's going to be evident. There is going to be evidence that you're a believer. I love how John adds on to this. John writes after James, and he says this in 1 John 3, 18, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I know I always say that. He says, my little children, John's old. <laughs> he says, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just say that you're a believer. Show that you're a believer. Show that you're a believer. He says, if you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Have you ever heard this, that my faith is private? Oh, I just have a, my, my faith, I just keep it private. It's between me and the Lord. No, it's not. James says, it cannot be private. A follower of Christ is never going to be a secret agent. Well, my faith is just between me and God. Actually, it's not. 
It is and it's not because this is the body of Christ. This is the church. The church is active. It participates. It gets involved. We don't have lone ranger. We don't have the lone gunman. We don't have the James Bond Christians. So your faith is not private. It is evident for everybody to see. 19, I forgot where I was. If you believe that there is one God, and again, James speaking from a Jewish perspective as usual, he says, you do well, but even demons believe and tremble. The fact that the demons believe I'm sorry, the demons believe the fact, but they do not surrender to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is not a saving faith. When a person truly believes on the Lord, it involves a commitment of spirit and soul and body, this body. This commitment, in turn, results in a changed life. Faith apart from works is head belief. It's knowledge, and knowledge does what in the Bible? Knowledge puffs up. Again, I love that James is just firing this right at people in the religious community. You guys have fancy robes. I mean, can you hear Jesus saying the same thing? He says, you look good on the outside, but on the inside is filled with dead man's tombs. You whitewashed tombs. You look good, you sound good, but ultimately there is nothing inside. Faith apart from works is head belief and therefore dead belief. Now, I realize this is Wednesday night. I am preaching to the choir. You are here. Good for you. Wednesday night, wonderful coming. Want to, Lord, what would you have for me? And this is what he would say. Help others around you who never get involved. Invite them to events. We have a baptism coming up at the end of the month. Invite them to that. Ask them to help out. You on the gardening team. I was so happy to come in and see those busy bees in the backyard cleaning up stuff that, listen, almost never anybody in the church sees. I mean, I don't want to discourage your ministry. <laughs> but think about that. Not everybody goes to the backyard. And certainly not in the summertime. Talk back there. You're doing work that a lot of people will never see, but it needs to be done. The cleaning ministry, the coffee ministry, children's ministry. By the way, children's ministry on Wednesday night needs some more helpers. They want to open up some more classrooms for in the back. So if, if you can <laughs> prayerfully consider that and if I can shame you into that. Uh, I sure will. No, uh, Miss Carol needs some help in the back, so please see her about that. But again, sometimes it's just, okay, I may not be like the best with kids, but I can be in a room and help out because I want to see them coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. He says, you believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Demons believe in God, but not they're not transformed, and they're not saved. So just having a knowledge of God doesn't mean 
anything. Plenty of people believe in God. But as we're going to see, do they believe God? That's what set Abraham apart. That's what we're going to see. He says, you do well. He says, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made mature. It it came to a perfection, and it's not the perfection that we think. It means maturity. Abraham got to the place that God wanted him to get to, but he needed to lay aside something. And it wasn't a test for God, it was a test for Abraham. Am I ready to lay that very thing that I value the most down? (laughs) We don't like to hear that. Teach another sermon. We do not like it when God says, are you willing to lay down the thing that you treasure the most, that you value the most? Maybe it's your job, and he wants you in a different profession. Less money. Oh, don't say that. I don't know what God has, but God often calls us to do an Abraham. In a minute, we're going to see as well Rahab the harlot. But he says, do you not see that faith was working together with his works and by faith was made mature, and that the scriptures were fulfilled, saying Abraham believed God, not believed in God. That's a given. Remember, the demons believe in God. doesn't save them. He believed God. What did he believe God in? Are you ready for it? Here it is. Abraham knew that his son Isaac would be the seed, the heir. Eventually, Messiah would come to him. God told him to go sacrifice your son as a burnt offering upon the altar. Now, the burnt offering is a fully consumed uh, offering, which means Abraham said in his mind, I don't know how this is going to happen, but God has promised that this boy would be the promise. So I don't know how it's going to happen, but he is going to resurrect my son from the ashes. I don't know how that's going to work but I'm trusting in God because up to this point, God has never failed me. And by the way, he never will. And so Abraham, what does he do? Me and the lad are going to worship and we will return. Abraham knew that he was coming back because God had already said that his son was the promise. So he believed God even though he didn't know how it was going to be accomplished. But he had to grab the wood and the knife and the rope, and he had to march up that hill, that same hill that Jesus was crucified on. And, of course, God provided a lamb. Abraham, don't touch your son. Notice it says that he became and called a friend of God. No one else is. Just Abe. He says, you see that that man is justified by works and not by faith only. It was actively working in his life. But also, (laughs) and 
Is it me or is it just James trying to get a dig on the Jewish religious leaders all the time? Because the religious leaders hated that Rahab was in the line of Messiah, let alone King David. They hated that. And he just, I'll, I'll pick two people. I'll pick Father Abraham, that's easy. And then I'll pick the harlot that you guys despise. But Jesus loves. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Here she is living in Jericho on the wall. She's heard of the great exploits of the Jewish people coming out of Egypt. She's heard of this great God Yahweh that has done amazing works. And now that same Jewish people are camped across the river. And God gives her the opportunity to exercise her faith. Do you see that? He opened up the door for Rahab to choose or not to. She could have closed the door and called the the police on them, right? But she chose, as we will see, to suffer with the Jews than to be a part of the world system. And he lastly says in verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, that's a (laughs) no-brainer, so faith without works is dead also. James ends the passage with the statement, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Here the matter is summarized so poignantly by James. James compares faith to the human body. He likens works to the spirit, and the body without spirit is lifeless, useless, valueless. So faith without works is dead. It's ineffective. It's worthless. Obviously, it is is a faith that is dead, James says. Much like a corpse. Oh, you could keep a corpse going with some ventilators, but is it really alive? I mean, I was just going to go down a path, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many of you have you seen just dead people at church? Some kind of religious machine is keeping them going. But there is no life. There's nothing in their life that says, I want to get into the game. And there are so many ways to be involved. To summarize, James tests our faith by uh, by us answering the following questions. Am I willing, like Abraham, to offer the dearest thing in my life to God? The thing I value the most. Am I willing, like Rahab, to turn traitor to the world in order to be loyal to Christ? What was Rahab doing? She was not only she was giving up her kinsmen, her people, for this God that only was known by reports all around the area. She didn't know everything about this Yahweh and these Jews, 
but she knew enough of it to see that there was power in this God. And so too, we, like Abraham, sometimes God tells us to lay aside the dearest thing. Or like Rahab, to push off the things of the world and to align ourselves with Christ. So I don't know about you, this is a pretty clear section of Scripture. James simply says to those who have been saved a while, prove it. Don't just say it. Don't just wear a Christian t-shirt. Don't just have a bumper sticker. Don't just call your dog Elijah. I've got a biblical dog name. Ours, ours is actually Havala, so it's biblical. Guys, we live in a in an American Christian culture. You guys get that? Where in different parts of the world, I don't see that. I see a faith that is working so much in different parts of the world. But what I see in America is an apathy. It is a me. What is the church giving me? I'm not impressed with this or that. It's about me. And God says, when was the last time you sacrificed anything upon the altar? When was the last time you gave it the world for me? You see, in America, we need, have, we need the reality of James to hit us upside the head and to get us away from this American whipped cream Christianity that oftentimes doesn't go out of its way to help the one we know in need or to just simply help out. Well, hopefully that didn't bum anyone out tonight. I'm sure it didn't anyone. Next week, read ahead. I'm sure all of you have a tongue. Right? I'm sure you all have a tongue and you know how destructive that tongue can be. James will tell us. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, Lord, and we thank you for this night, for the body of believers, Lord. We love that, Lord, you just allow us to be a part of the kingdom of God. You don't have to. You can do it with angels, much more effective. But you choose these human vessels, frail as they are, often afraid and timid, But Lord, thank you that you give us your spirit that guides us and directs us, gives us discernment, Lord, and that our faith would be active, that we would be involved, and it would be evident to all that we are followers of Jesus Christ, the hope of this world. There is no other name on earth by, by which men would be saved but the name of Jesus. So Lord, thank you. And we would just cast off the shackles of religion and have a real relationship with you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.